Well, it is a pleasure to be before you this morning to kick off this series on freedom of simplicity. And I have to start by telling you that the novel, this novel that I read in high school, they made a movie out. You guys might remember it. It's The Great Gatsby. And it was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And that novel tells a story. It tells a love story between a man and a woman. But the main theme of that novel really encompasses a much larger and less romantic scope. In this book, the author uses a green light that symbolizes money, power, and wealth. And it represents the hopes and the dreams for the future. At some point, Gatsby, the main character in this novel, reaches towards the green light in the darkness as if reaching for a guiding light that will lead him into his goals, into his hopes and his dreams. Because of Gatsby's quest, it is broadly associated with the American dream. The green light also symbolizes the more generalized idea of the pursuit of happiness. For Gatsby, his dream was corrupted by money and dishonesty, and his American dream of happiness really just disintegrates into a mere pursuit of wealth. And the book ends with some very impactful words that I want to share with you this morning, and it ends by saying, Gatsby believed in the green light. The future that year by year recedes before us, it eludes us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms further, and one fine morning. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Meaning that people everywhere are motivated by similar dreams and by the desire to move forward into a future in which their dreams will be realized. Yet our struggle to create that future are like boats moving in a body of water against the current that inevitably, inevitably just carries us back. So this morning we recognize that we all struggle with that green light. And contrast that with our friend's history. You see, you guys are all sitting in a friend's church with a beautiful history that started back in the 1600s. The Quakers, as, as our friend's history is called, they believe so much in certain convictions that they call them testimonies and those one of those testimonies that they were committed to was simple living they valued simplicity in speech in life in worship and in ministry this meant moderation in worldly pursuit and in clothing and in language and definitely no frivolous distractions or diversions and this was not just words this was evident in the way they dressed and in the way they did business for examples, the Quakers did not barter. They believed in setting prices and sticking to them, which meant that they probably wouldn't have made it in today's world of eBay and Craigslist and pretty much anywhere else where getting the high price is highly recommended. Their commitment to simplicity in business was so great that they refused to make more money than was necessary. In fact, if they were getting too much for their goods and services, they would curtail their operations or their productions, which was mostly crops, or they would give the excess to the poor. And the interesting part about it, or the beautiful part about this, is that the reason that they did this is because they did not want to risk being vain or conceited. Wow. Can you guys imagine giving up more profits? I mean, that is the opposite of everything that we're taught. 
There is no corporation in existence that I know about that would say, we've made enough, let's give the access to the poor. That is such a foreign concept to us. It is as foreign to us as slaughtering and sacrificing animals to our God because we just don't do that anymore. Today, it is more about making the list, the best-dressed list, the richest list, the best-looking list, and on and on. And because of those desires, there is no doubt that life is getting more and more complicated for us. And what do we get for that? Well, we're supposed to get a better life, aren't we? We're supposed to feeling more secure with who and what we are. But the reality is, is that we're feeling more and more empty and less and less secure. And that is because we live in a society that values people by, by what job they have, what car they drive, or the home that they live in. So as the economy falters and as jobs are lost and as foreclosings go up and as bankruptcy, bankruptcy skyrocket, then we're beginning to see that maybe, just maybe, all our priorities that we're placing in our lives maybe aren't really worth the hassle because where is it getting us? And then we start to see that maybe living a simpler life should really be our goal. So why this series on simplicity? Well, first of all, the Bible teaches simple living. So just from that, we know that it's important. Secondly, complicated lives are hurting us. And it's hurting our families. It's keeping us from experiencing life the way our Creator meant for us to enjoy. Too much of the time we're anxious and we're worried. We're exhausted and we're stressed out. We don't know which way to turn, so sometimes we don't do anything. We become apathetic and depressed when we have so much that ought to make us be enthusiastic and happy. We frown when we ought to be smiling. We're down when we have so much to be up about. So if your to-do list is driving you crazy, or if you have more things to do than time to do them in, or if you are running in circles in spite of all your multitasking and staying up late, then this series is for you. We'll be talking about how to remedy all of those situations. But first, we have to slow down. We have to slow down and we have to catch our breath and we have to start to reemphasize what God says about practicing a simple way of life. So I want you guys this morning not to worry. We're not going to be asking you to, you know, sell your car and buy a horse and buggy. Although, <laughs> with the cost of gas, it's probably not a bad idea. We're also not going to be asking you to live without electricity or raise all your own food. But, but we will be asking you to reevaluate your time commitments. Because most of us have filled our days from beginning to the end with time commitments. Things like work and home and kids activities and community events and religious endeavors and hobbies and on and on. Today, we will be talking about releasing yourself from those time commitments by putting them in line with your greatest values. And one of the things that we put our greatest value in is our resources, isn't it? We know that resources are important, and not only are they important, they are necessary. It is how we define our resources that make the difference in our time commitments. In fact, if you turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, we see that Jesus in this passage is towards the end, the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus makes it clear what resources we are supposed to be focused on. 
And it starts on verse 25 by saying, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then we skip to verse 28 and it says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But, and here comes the definition of what resources we really need. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This scripture is telling us that if we want a simple life, we need to seek the kingdom of God first. If we want a simple life, we need to limit our distractions from seeking. If we want a simple life, we need to let God add the resources If we want a simple life, we need to stop complaining about all the small things and rejoice in the big things. If we want a simple life, we need to stop trying to impress God by by what we think we know, what pretty clothes we may be wearing, how much money we may or may not have, how many televisions we may or may not own, how many cars are in our driveway, or how much food is in our refrigerators. If we want a simple life, this scripture tells us that we need to focus on what God wants. And that is really the key to simplifying our time, seeking the kingdom of God first. Because how we pursue our resources will determine our priorities, and that will influence how simple our time commitments may or may not be. You see, simplifying your time, while it may be evidence in the physical, it is at its heart a spiritual issue. So how do we start if we want to start to simplify our time? Well, the first thing that I suggest, and you can write this down, is first, you eliminate all unnecessary and trivial things from your life. And in order for us to eliminate the unnecessary and trivial things, we have to start by aligning our values with God's values. And thus, we have to start seeking Him first. When we do that, our calendars will reflect it automatically. Richard Foster, in his book, Freedom of Simplicity, recommends that you make a record of all of your activities for a month. And when you make a record of all of those activities, you start ranking them in order. And the first thing that you rank them by is the first thing is, number one, essential things, essential activities. Number two, important but not essential. Number three, helpful but not necessary. Number four, trivial And once you've done that, he suggests eliminating items under category three and four, which are helpful but not necessary and trivial things. Then he further recommends that you eliminate 20% of everything in category one and two. And the way that you determine the difference between the essential and the trivial is that you have to ask yourself if what you are doing would be considered seeking God first. Sometimes that means that we have to eliminate good things from our calendar. Like for me, I love bike riding. 
I know that it's good for me. I enjoy being out in nature. And I love going with an amazing group of friends. And I used to go every single Saturday morning. However, just like you, I work Monday through Fridays. And of course, I'm here on Sunday mornings. So my only morning available to spend with my family is Saturday mornings. So I have to make the decision to reduce the amount of times that I go bike riding. That is why I decided to do that. Because I feel that that is essential for me. And not only is it essential for me, I think that's what God wants from me. You see, all of us can cut a great deal of activities without affecting our productivity. The truth is, is that we are too busy only because we want to be busy. But only, not only do we have to eliminate some activities from our list, some of us have to add some important activities to our essential list. Things that seek God first. You know, sometimes as pastors, we get asked by parents to pray for children. And most often those prayers are so that the kids would come to church and get involved in church activities. However, sometimes we find that those same parents aren't here at church themselves, neither are they involved in church activities. So how can we expect our children to do something that is not being modeled? And just like we spoke about last week on Mother's Day, it is the example that we set that will be remembered We shouldn't be surprised if our adult children are not at church if what they've learned growing up was that everything else was more important. We first have to align our values with God's values if we hope to simplify our time. In 2006, a report by the American Academy of Pediatrics says that kids' lives are overscheduled way before they enter their teenage years. The study falls changes in family structure, competitive college admissions, federal education policies, and here's the big one that affects all of us, and fear that a child may fall behind academically for making parents feel that they must enroll their children in developmental activities. And guess what? We put all of those developmental activities on the essential list, and by default, we remove God from his number one spot. Then we toil and we spin, and we labor, reaching for that green light that will forever elude us. We must eliminate all trivial and all unnecessary things if we're going to align our values with God's values. The second thing that we can do if we want to start simplifying our time is that we need to set limits on our commitments. And like everything else in life, if you don't have a plan, it will likely fail or probably not happen at all. And if you have previously agreed on specific commitments, then your activities will become a matter of rules and guidelines. Things like setting limits on your outings and the activities that you will participate in. This means that you will have to decline some wonderful opportunities in front of you. Things like how many times you go golfing during the month. Things like how many times you're going to practice or participate in all your wonderful hobbies. Or how many weekend getaways you're going to take. And the list goes on. I don't know what it is for you, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have to learn to say no. And this is actually one of the key habits for those that are trying to simplify their time. Because if you can't say no, then we're all going to just take on too much. And this means that you have to say no, even if they are really good things and they are asking you specifically. You see, sometimes we're good at something and people say, no, we need you there and we feel proud of it, so we have to go. 
Or sometimes people tell you, but I really, really, really want you there. And you feel obligated, so you go. We have to learn to say no. And here's the big one. Set limits on the amount of sports or activities that your child will participate in. Ah, what? You know, I'm, I'm currently coaching my daughter's basketball team. And we have a little girl there that is just really talented. And every time we're about to start a game in basketball, she shows up running with her backpack and she starts changing from her soccer gear into her basketball gear. And as soon as the parents hit the stands, you know, everybody else is like, where'd you guys come from? And the, and the dad goes, oh, we just came from Whittier from her club soccer game. And, um, and now she's here to play, you know, recreational basketball. And by the way, this girl also is on a travel basketball team. So it's spring and she has three sports. And as the parents converse, I can see the father just becoming a little more proud of what her daughter is doing and how great she is doing, because we all love to hear how great our kids are doing, don't we? Don't we all love to hear the wonderful things that all of our kids are doing and that we're allowing our children to do? But let me tell you, and I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble here this morning, but 98 out of 100 high school athletes never play collegiate sports of any kind at any level. That means that your kid has about a 2% chance of playing whatever sport they are playing in in college. Less than one out of every 100 students will receive a scholarship to a Division I school. Less than 1%. The interesting part about that is that 59% of all high school athletes believe that they will get a college scholarship. The math doesn't make sense. So we toil and we spin and we labor towards that green light that will forever elude us. And folks, I understand the benefits of playing a sport. I know that it promotes healthy living. You stay in shape. It promotes team building, friendships. Those are all wonderful things. In fact, I played high school soccer and football, and I was in a club soccer team. And I've also coached all of my son's soccer, club soccer teams growing up. I coached soccer for at least 20 years. I took my son from when he was five all the way till he played under 19. And I became their coach for a few reasons. Number one, I wanted to spend more time with them. I wanted to control the cost because I think club soccer is just way too expensive. And I wanted to have a say on what the schedule was going to look like. And at first, I wanted to go to every tournament about as far as it could get, and those became our family outings. That's just what we did. My family and I were in Lancaster, everywhere. That was essential for us. And I'm telling you, at some point, I, had, I was coaching two teams, and I was having multiple practices per day, and I was walking around like, oh, your kid's really good. Yeah, that's because I'm his coach. You know? <laughs> then God got a hold of me. Praise God for that. And he showed me what was really important, and that was seeking him first. And let me tell you, I still coach my daughter today in basketball, but I will not miss church because of it. And I will not take a practice or anything else instead of attending a church function. Well, you guys aren't going to really like me after this, aren't you? (laughs) The third thing that we can do if we want to simplify our time is that we have to limit our media consumption. Because chances are that you'll find a great deal of extra time just by deliberately choosing to turn off all the various media sources, like TV, cell phone, computer, oh my, all of these things that we have, iPads. You know, my wife and I recently decided that we were going to cancel all the million channels that we subscribe to in cable and that we were going to go back to basic cable. 
And I did this because this series was going to come up, and I wanted to say that I did it, but we're going to reinstate it as soon as we finish the series. <laughs> it is the worst. There's nothing to watch. And, and all I end up doing is getting depressed because all I watch is the news. So funny thing about it is that we're so addicted to these things, and we don't even notice. In fact, we're so addicted to some of these things that did you know that there, there is now a syndrome for phones? It's called phantom ringing syndrome. PRS, as they call it, occurs when you feel your phone ringing in your pocket, even when it doesn't ring. And 68% of the people have experienced this, which means that most of you know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> including myself. You know, one of the things that I'm training myself to do is to leave its phone in its dock or to turn it off altogether, especially when I spend time in dinners with my family, which are Sunday nights, or when I have an appointment with somebody, because it's so easy to do that, to just pick up the phone. You see, what it's causing us to do is we're no longer present. And if we don't limit our media exposure, especially you dads that take bring it home from work, you're going to work 24 hours a day, I can guarantee you. You see, we are addicted to that little noise that our phone makes that tells us that we just got a text or an email or some Facebook status, whatever. And you can't help but reach out to see what it is only to find out that it's just somebody checking in at the Olive Garden. But we're so addicted to it that we have to go for it. Even if we don't check our phone, and here's the interesting part, that my wife and I have this uh, agreement, if you will, that we're, when we're going to have a conversation, phones are off and we focus on each other. But if we hear that little noise, I don't focus on what my wife is saying. I'm thinking of what is going on. We are no longer present. And we can do that to ourselves as adults if we want to. But studies are showing that our kids now do the majority of their communicating through media, just like texting and cell phones and and email. And texting to them is like breathing to them. But what we don't understand is that they don't really want to be around grown-ups anymore because most of the time, lots of them really lack the skills necessary to have healthy relationships and boundaries. Is that what we want to leave behind? Is that our legacy that we're going to pass on to our generation? Don't be present. Not only will limited media really benefit our time, it will benefit our relationships as a whole. So the fourth thing I suggest that you do if you want to simplify your time is that you limit your acquisition of more stuff. And oh no, not another one. What's wrong with what you already have? Well, so that I won't spend a lot of time explaining or summarizing what I want to tell you, I brought a video to show you. Better than less. Okay, why? More is better than less because if stuff is not less, if there's more less stuff, then you might you might want to have some more, and your parents just don't let you because there's only a little bit. Right. We want more. We want more. Like you really like it. You want more. I follow you. It's not complicated. More is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. We want more. We want more. Doesn't that pretty much summarize it? Nothing is wrong with what we already have. We just want more. Because more is better, right? That's what everybody tells us. That's the life that most of us live in. Yet the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.10 that whoever loves money never has money enough and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. 
This is Solomon. He was the wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus. And in verse 12, he goes on to say, The abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The more you have, the more responsibility you have, and the more time you spend taking care of it. We spend so much time thinking about the stuff we have and how we're going to get more stuff and how we're going to take care of all of that stuff and how we're going to pass all of that stuff that we end up losing sleep over it. And if we don't limit the stuff that we have, we are never going to be content. In fact, Paul speaks about being content in the Bible. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living plenty in plenty or in want. And then it goes on to say a, a verse that we're probably all familiar with. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. You see, Paul wrote this because he knew that the people struggle with being content with their stuff. And you see, I believe that being content with one of our, with what we already have is one of our greatest struggles of our generation. And not only that, it is the same thing that Satan uses to keep us from seeking God first. The other inter- interesting thing about that is that I think many athletes and everybody else quotes the scripture of, I can do all things to God who strengthens me, but they fail to recognize what, ha- what Paul is talking about before that. Paul is saying that I can be content with a lot or a little because it is God who gives me the strength. He didn't use it to go out and get more stuff. So have you ever asked yourself how many things or possessions you would have if you were to apply the seek God first principle before you purchase them? You see, as income goes up, so do expenses. It always costs more to have more. And if the grass is greener on the other side, you can bet that the water bill is going to be bigger too. A great author by the name of G.K. Chesterton said that there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and actually verse 34 as well, I'm going to summarize it for you, but this is Jesus warning the crowd. And he says, A man's life does not consist of the abundance of their possessions. This very night, your life may be demanded from you. Don't store things up for yourself. Instead, be rich towards God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what things do you treasure? Because whatever they are, they are reflected in your calendar. And the truth is that we all came into this world with nothing, and we're going to live this world with nothing. I've had the opportunity to speak to some people at the, last, at the end of their lives. And I have to tell you that the last thing that they concern, concern themselves with is their possessions, their car, or what jobs they had, or what a great career they had. Instead, they talk about family, faith, and contentment. It is the contentment that comes from realizing that we are just enjoying what God already owns, which includes our time. And sometimes, if not all the time, this is probably the hardest thing to remember. So we work hard for the incomes and the stuff that we have, We have sweat over our jobs and focused energy on our careers so that we can make the net worth grow and drive the latest automobiles and have the nicest home that we could possibly have. 
But it is when we make the decision to remove the barrier of stuff that keeps us apart from others, from God, and also from ourselves, when we, that's when we really start enjoying what belongs to God as God has intended. When we do that, I can guarantee you that your lives will become more simple. So now I need to ask you this morning, where are you? Does any of this ring true for you? What do you feel God is asking you to do right at this moment? Will you respond? Do you need to eliminate anything from your life? Do you need to limit anything from your life? Because whatever it is that is keeping you from seeking God first is probably the one thing that you have to work on this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, just we are grateful for your word, Lord. Father, help us to get our priorities straight. Lord, help us to realize that if we're going to simplify our lives and our time, that we need to acknowledge that what we enjoy belongs to you. And that as good stewards, we need to act accordingly. Father, help us to seek you first in all that we do, in all that we are, in all that we own. Father, help us to prioritize the essential things in our life. Help us not to just brush it off this morning as some nuisance, but to take the idea of seeking you first seriously. And Lord, for all of that you have provided, for all that you are providing and all that you will provide, we give you thanks and praise this morning, especially we are thankful for giving us your son. Father, we love you this morning and we just want to, we just want you to work in us, Lord, that you would convict us and that you would give us the courage to carry forward in whatever you're asking us to do. It is in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.